click off. I'm starting to like it now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> or own it. Either one or the other. You ever get the feeling that everything in America is completely fucked up? You know that feeling that the whole country is like one inch away from saying, that's it, forget it. What is that? Let's see. Thanks, Mr. <laughs> now look, here's a house full of bees. You think the honey badger cares? It doesn't give a shit. Listen, let's get one thing straight. Price is right. Guns don't kill people. I do. Oh, this. It cuts off for the chorus. Um, I, I can't get the chorus in my head. Is that Eddie Murphy? Yes. yes it's uh, a <laughs> uh, uh, hot boogie in my butt. It's, <laughs> what is it? I know this. Part of the time. That's it. <laughs> Dude, watch this video. <laughs> this video looks like an SNL skit. I know. Um, whoa, dude, look at that guy in the back. <laughs> Holy. Is that too short? Is it? I don't know. Um. By any chance, is this from the 80s? Uh, how did you guess? Yeah, I don't know. Wow. Just it has. I, I didn't feel like it. I, it felt like it was timeless. To right, me. right, right. Uh, <laughs> kind of like a stairway to heaven. Or something. Is it the white dust the powder coating on every <laughs> single thing in the shot, including Rick James? <laughs> <laughs> they always have the one '80s metal dude in the back. Well, who shirt. else could play guitar? Right. <laughs> but an '80s metal dude. So you said it before looks, we started, like, dude, if you get this, I'll be impressed. And yeah. immediately when I heard that keyboard sound, I was like, oh, dude, I know this. I know this. I know this. It's coming from Rick James's home studio in Buffalo, New York. Right, It's right. coming to me. Yeah, so apparently that song did not get great critical uh, reviews. That's too bad. I know. Um, the, the rumor has it, the story is that uh, Eddie Murphy made a $100,000 bet with Richard Pryor, that he had enough, like performing chops, clout to to pull off a, a song, like an '80s hit. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I don't know what exactly the criteria of the bet were, but I I would say one because the song did. It's pretty legit. I mean, it made it onto the charts. So '80s, <laughs> '80s were were that was a weird time. 
lot of drugs. It was also uh, given the award of uh, first place in the bottom 10 list mm. by... Uh, Ooh, what else is in there? <laughs> I'd like to know, actually. Is that on here? Um, it's not. That was the Sun Sentinel. What would be on that list? I would have to put, we built this city on rock and roll. I think might be on my bottom 10. Um, God. I, I don't know. I was going to say Baby Shark, but I don't want to start off with an argument. So <laughs> let's just keep it kind of older, or older stuff. I'd have to put Crocodile Rock on there. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. God bless your soul. I might put uh, Kenny Rogers, uh, the gambler. On there, that's that's the name of the song, right? You got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them. It's pretty terrible, yeah. Yeah. Actually, my list is entirely composed of songs that I would not want to get stuck in my head surfing. Okay. So. Yeah, Crocodile Rock, which has, which now I'm fucked. That's gonna be stuck in my head tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, Baby got back. So we, yeah, terrible. We made a uh, that song always pops. Oh no, hold that thought. That song okay. always pops into my head because one time I was out in the water. Dude, that song popped in my head this morning. No way. Yeah. Really? Yeah, well, I was driving home from camping. That well, one. there's a reason that it pops into my head. Maybe this, maybe something triggered it for yeah. you. But when you're out in the lineup and a wave is coming, and you're like, "Ooh, it's a good wave," but then there's another wave that Double comes up. In right behind it, and it doubles up. And then <laughs> yes. Double up. Uh, uh. Fuck. And then the song's stuck in your head. <laughs> Rest of the session. Um, which is unfortunate because Sir Mexlot had some jams back in the day. We've talked about that. Yes, before. I think we've talked about this. Oh, man, the worst songs ever. I could go on forever. Yeah. Yeah, pretty. Hootie and the Blowfish. There was that, there was that time in the early, mid, mid-90s when it was just like, there wasn't really anything. It wasn't this thing. Like, it wasn't grunge. It wasn't metal. It wasn't hip-hop. It was just, uh, as we always say, music for people that don't really like music. So it was like Spin Doctors, uh, Hootie and the Blowfish, like weird bands like Dishwalla. Yeah, <laughs> all these kind of like one hit. Yeah, then the, uh, a little bit before that it was like Jesus Jones and EMF. It was just uh-huh. like weird music. It was like what kind of what's that genre? Like, Oof. I don't know. It's like commercial jingles that were brought to life by a producer and turned into whole songs for some reason. That didn't do well here, but were huge in Europe. <clears throat> yeah. What about the genre of actors who start singing careers? Well, not careers, but get the one hit like Eddie Murphy. Oh, uh, so you're... Uh, Patrick Swayze. David Hasselhoff. I was going to say, David Hasselhoff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what's that that <laughs> horrific emo band? Uh, Jared Leto, 30 Seconds to Mars. But I think they had a whole, like, full... They actually did, like, an actual band that toured and with full albums and everything. And they tapped into this... That 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 the the I don't know the elite class you know the Hollywood actors and you know yeah. that it's like they always you can tell they tap like we want to tap into this thing it's like yeah that thing kind of disappeared about fifteen years ago and so they came out with a a screamo band but in like two thousand twelve or something like that like that genre just just died so I long think ago. I, I see it's pure ego driven yeah this actor thinks he's on top of the world because everyone tells him he is and people want right. his autograph. And so he's like, well, They're I can. surrounded by sickle fans. Yeah. Yeah. I can sing. Yeah, you can. No, I really think I can. Totally. No, you t- you should, dude. I've heard you sing. You should do that. Like, I want to be, because really in the whole like hierarchy of famous people, uh-huh. musicians are above actors. 
actors absolutely actors play make believe. Yeah, you have to be talented to be a musician. Living. Yes, even even if you aren't talented at. I mean, there are talented actors. Yes, obviously. and there's untalented musicians. But if you put the two, I've, I've toured with them. You, exactly, you put the two toe to toe, you still have to have something. Yeah, to be an untalented musician. Right. In fact, I would say. I think by mere like, virtue that you have to pull it off live. Like you have to, yes, you got to bring something to the sell table. It. There's ten thousand people here watching. You have to bring something to the table. A dude that considers himself untalented, but we know isn't, and uh, we remodeled his kitchen once in San Francisco is uh, Mike Mike Patton. Patton, yeah, who and you never takes any credit for any musical ability. Yeah, but freakishly talented. Yeah, yeah. Uh, awesome. Our first show I ever saw, Mr. Bungle, Mike no Patton. Shit. Yeah. And we were remodeling his kitchen because he's from where we're from, up mm-hmm. in Humboldt County. This was back when Mr. Bungle originally started. This was way before he was in like Faith No More, and he was like a famous guy. Yeah, is Mr. Bungle originally was from Eureka High, and uh, which is like the main city of Humboldt County, I guess you could call it. Mm-hmm. And they were a thrash metal band. They're mm-hmm. like huge thrash metal guys. They're all wow. in the Slayer and Megadeth and Anthrax and everything, and. Um, we bought their first EP, which was called Raging Wrath of the Easter Bunny. And we were, we bought it from him. He worked at the only record oh, store yeah. <laughs> in the entire county. I went in and I was like, what should I buy? He, he helped me pick out the first Skate Rock, Thrasher Skate Rock, which is still one of my favorite albums. It's a compilation, obviously. Mm-hmm. And he goes, here's my band. And he, saw his, he was selling this demo for five bucks, tape, cassette tape. I'm oh, yeah. old. And uh, I remember we took it back to our little mini ramp back in our small town. And we listened to it. We're like, Holy dude, this is and like I was like I met this guy. I met him. He sold me the tape, <laughs> and so we go in there like looking to see him because he'd help us pick out our old tapes and everything. So yeah. <clears throat> here we are, what twenty years later, remodeling his kitchen in San Francisco. And I was like, ah, I don't want to like be that guy, but right. but I know that he the I've had like mutual friends and other you know since I started touring and I knew other musicians. Like he's not. He got famous through Faith No More with that hit Epic. And then from there, they just exploded, right? And um, I know that he was very leery of being, like, famous guy. And he was always a little, like, I don't want I don't want to put stuff, words into his mouth. But he's like, I do this. Mr. Bungle is, like, my most creative thing. Mr. Bungle is, like, genius music. It's insane. I, I highly suggest if anyone likes off-the-beaten-path uh, jams, check out Mr. Bungle. And um, But people would go to Mr. Bungle shows and yell out, like, Faith No More songs and would fully bum him out. Oh, I was like, nah, I'm not just, like, famous guy and I got this cool, like, weird side project. Like, this is, I poured my, I've been in this band since I was, like, 15 years old or right. something like this. Yeah, and I told him, I asked, he actually said that to him. He walked in the kitchen and was like, hey, Mike, um, you know, I'm from Humboldt. He goes, oh, really? Whereabouts? I told him. He goes, man, that's crazy. I was like, yeah, Mr. Bungle was actually the first show I ever saw. And I think I was, like, 13 years old. Like our mom dropped us off at Club West. No, up at HSU, Humboldt State University, okay. a place called the Kate Buchanan Room, and they played with a bunch. Of, God, dude, I don't know why I still remember this. They played with two ska bands, the Untouchables from LA, and then a band called the Crazy Eights. And um, first show I ever saw, first time I ever like stage dove. I was like watching people stage. I was like, oh, and you know, I'm four foot tall, <laughs> and I tapped this huge dude in front of me. I was like. You can get me on stage, and he just grabbed me and threw me up on the top of the stage. My friends were like yelling. We were like, we were. I was sold. I was like, this is what I want to do. Yeah. I, lo- I love this so much. Yeah, and I was talking to him about it. He's like, he thought I was going to bring up like, you know, I saw Faith No More, Lollapalooza one year, totally. <laughs> and uh, I told him like, yeah, the first show. And I told him, he's like, 
holy. It's like, wow, dude, that was a long time ago. It's like, yeah, I was a little kid, man. I think I was 13 years old. That's awesome. Yeah. Good dude, man. Awesome dude. Yeah. Yeah, I liked him. Yeah. Um, I have something weird going on with my skin right now. <laughs> <laughs> my God, dude. Dude. Listen, I love you, but we're going to have to just put you down here eventually. I, I thought about that. You're like my mom's dog. Like, Mom, it's time. <laughs> it's I'm going to be talking to your wife going like, this is kind of uncomfortable, but like... I mean, he's got the we can't skin keep, We stuff, can't keep throwing good money after bad like this, all right? I don't want my buddy to be the Iraq war. Like, eventually we got to put the guy down. I mean, he's got all those cysts on his abdomen, the hip dysplasia. Come on, it's time. So, apparently... So, I, you know, I started taking uh, the antibiotic for the hoof and mouth disease on right. my leg. And it turns out you're not supposed to go in the sun while you're on that. You didn't know that? No. Okay. I figured the doctor would have told me that. <laughs> so okay. I, I will say it, that's did, on him. Did you know that? I did know that. <laughs> Is that with all antibiotics? Uh, no, I don't think so, because I had, I had something very similar to you. Okay. And... Uh, <laughs> I don't want to derail your stories. Well, they, so yeah, they didn't tell me not to go in the sun. So mm-hmm. yesterday I was working in the in the yard building this new chicken coop. Yeah. And I was only out there for like two hours. And I got fucking sunburned mm-hmm. all over. Yeah. It's weird. Makes you super sensitive to the sun. Yeah. yeah. And now my skin, it feels like... You're also you know not supposed to drink too, right? Really? <laughs> I, again, no one told me. <laughs> well, I just took the last pill today, so... <laughs> Well, I guess whatever harm I did has been done. <laughs> I'm sure it'll be fine. I don't think you're supposed to drink uh, in general. Right. So, okay. Pretty much been ignoring that for the last 30 years. Um, anyways, there's this weird sensation on my skin where it feels like when you go from a warm environment and you know when you step outside and just it's like barely drizzling? Yeah. And you feel the little like drops of yeah. water on cold drops of water on your skin? Yeah. Yeah. That's like how my skin right. feels all over right now. Yeah. It's fucking weird. I got, um, when I lived in San Francisco, I had a small cut on my arm, and then my buddy called me, and it was the first big swell of the year, Ocean Beach, San Francisco, and he's like, hey, dude, I think the surf is just fully cranking right now. Do you want to blow off the day? I remember remember it was a Tuesday. I don't know why I remember this. I was like, yeah, I'll meet you at the beach, and we paddle out, and it's perfect conditions, but really big, Mm -hmm. like first big swell of the winter. And very hepatitis-y. Yeah, which is something I didn't think about. <laughs> and we were out in the lineup going like, it just seems like there'd be more people out here. Like, this is, yeah, what's what's going on here? Like, we scored. We, didn't we score? Uh, and you're like taking the water in your mouth, spitting it at your buddy. We, yeah. Hey, yeah. got and you, fucker, right in your mouth. Later that week, I was in Sacramento uh, rehearsing for a band. We were, spot, we were about to leave for tour, and I just started feeling weirder and weirder. And the, I had this ever-increasing, which you are familiar with right now, this what looked like a very large pimple on my arm that just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And uh, you had been drinking. And uh, I was like, I am not feeling right, guys. Can can you guys take a look at this? And we went in the bathroom on the light, and my arm, I had, like, the blood trails going up my arm. Like, the you could see what was blood poisoning. I didn't know. Mm-hmm. And uh, my boy's like, you got to get... You gotta get the. He's like, that's blood poisoning. You gotta get the so hospital. Right for your heart. And we tried to drain it ourselves. Oh boy. So we cut it open, and and uh, it just kept getting worse. Didn't work, huh? No, funny enough. <laughs> <laughs> Dave told me to lance my uh, thing on my leg or stick it with a needle. Uh huh. And I happen to have like a ton of needles right left over from uh, when we when we uh, had when you, when you used to live on the bike path. <laughs> I used to. 
<laughs> be a uh, heroin addict. Um, and so I tried that last night, but uh, it hurt too much to yeah to get it very deep. I got it in about a quarter of an inch. Yeah. Well, about an eighth of an inch. And uh, I was just, ooh. We went to the ER in a really, really bad part of Sacramento. And it must have been one in the morning at this point. At this point, I'm feeling like woozy and I'm having a hard time standing up. And uh, by the time the doctor finally saw me, I think he looked at the tattoos. This thing was on my arm, mm -hmm. like kind of where a vein would be. And he was like junky. And yep. that was, which would have made sense given yeah. the area that we're in. And he had asked me, he goes, he just was not having it. He's sick as shit like this. And he was like very, uh, very rude, I guess you could say. And he asked me, he's like, you been skin popping? I was like, uh, yeah, but just because I thought that that would help. He what does skin popping mean? Yeah, well, skin popping means shooting up. Oh. I thought he meant skin popping, like I try to pop it. <laughs> and he shook his head with like this look of disgust. It was yeah. almost worse than... Um, when we played the uh, fact check clip when Gabe was here, it's just like the look of just like, I just, I, I wish people like you were not alive on this planet. <laughs> and I, it all started to finally click. I was like, cause he asked me other questions like, Oh, this guy thinks I'm a junkie. And so I started telling him, he's like, so how this happened again? <laughs> that guy, mm -hmm. Like I told him the story. He's like, and I just started, I'm like, I, I'm going to have to do some extra work to kind of convince this guy. Cause it's like, not, I mean, I don't really, no pun intended, have a whole lot of skin in this game, but like, I just don't want him thinking I'm a junkie, you know, here in the middle of the night trying to, you know, yeah, get shit fixed. And uh, he finally kind of warmed up to me. I was like, hey, look, not for nothing, but when you said skin popping, what is that exactly? He goes, shooting up. I was like, no, I, I, no, I don't shoot drugs. I think he meant skin popping, like I tried to pop it. And I think he realized I was lucid enough and could complete enough sentences he's like okay this guy's like he ended up being like a really cool guy <clears throat> you were dressed like a junkie yeah <laughs> all the hallmarks yeah junkiedom but they put me on the same drugs that you were on they're like you can't drink you have to stay out of the sun and i went home why can't you drink like am i gonna i don't know well obviously you my can liver gonna fail now yeah. tomorrow or something I mean, who knows i mean i think it's just hard on your i don't dude i'm not even gonna try to guess but when I got home, I'm look it up right now. To like I said, it was the first good swells of the year. I get home and Ocean Beach, on, you know, we're characteristically like November is the time out there. Like best surf, offshore winds, mm -hmm. giant swells, and I was walking along the beach covered in long sleeves. It was like hot Ocean Beach, San Francisco, which does not happen very often. Yeah, I had hat over my head, like completely try to stay out of the sunlight, watching the most perfect surf. I couldn't go to work, right? Because he goes, you can't, um, you can't elevate your heart rate for some reason. You have to keep, like, you can't do any cardio. You can't do it. So I was running a lot of time. I couldn't run. Couldn't go to work, right, because I couldn't really use my hand because they, they actually lanced it out. It looked like a, someone dumped a jar. There was so much pus that came out of my arm. Yeah. We couldn't pop it because it was so deep down. We actually pushed it back down into the muscle. And couldn't work, couldn't run, couldn't drink, and couldn't surf. And I'm watching, like, some of the best surf I've ever seen at Ocean Beach. And just remember this one time, I was going, like, I'm so miserable right now. I can't do mm -hmm. anything. I can't play music because I can't use my hand. And I remember watching this guy. We used to call it the tripod, like, guys who couldn't surf very well. Yeah. They get up, like, one knee at a time, and they're doing this, or we call it pig-dogging. It's like, oh, yeah. he's, he's pig-dogging. This dude pig-dogged on the top of this wave that was, like, a perfect wave and comes down. As he's going down the face, he manages to get up to his feet, and the fucking dude got barreled no. in front oh, of me. God. 
Damn it. <laughs> I still got my, no. no. <laughs> you didn't earn that. I was like, I'm in, I'm in hell. I died and went to hell. <laughs> I've been there, dude. That yeah. time that I busted my eye open yeah. out in the water, I was so frustrated because earlier that morning, I was out and it was one of those days. It was like Indonesia out yeah. there. I mean, Ocean Beach gets so good. It does. That, I mean, it's world we, class. You, you have and I have. Like, I've traveled all over the place, like chasing good surf and going to these magical tropical places. Yeah. And the best days that I've ever had have been Ocean Beach, San Francisco. The yep. place gets ridiculously good. I was out there one morning and I was surfing really well at the time because mm-hmm. we were going so much. But I just had an off morning. Yeah. And I couldn't catch a goddamn way to save my life. Meanwhile, just like you were saying, all these people that weren't as good as me were out there getting just the ways of their life and i was so fucking frustrated yeah. so when we went back out later that day i had this kind of attitude yeah about the ocean like the ocean owed me some waves and that worked out for you <laughs> so i was there with mike yeah producer mike and uh i gave him my fish i had that blue quad fin mm-hmm. mandala yeah. board, and it was kind of big it was like mm, Head and a half, probably. Yeah. And he head and a half ocean beaches, yeah, got some power no joke. Yeah, he had uh, one of those Bic boards. Do you remember? They're like a um, almost like a soft top, yeah. Board. They were made in like a computer that just like spit out right foam. It was that new like styrofoam came out with the hard um plastic coating. It wasn't, no, I, I, I remember his exact board. Okay, yeah. so that board was a little bit bigger, yeah, and harder to duck dive, yeah. So I switched boards with Mike. So he could get out in the lineup. So that he could get out. He could right. take my fish out there, duck dive really easily. Yeah. And so I paddled out his fucking inner tube. And uh, <clears throat> just as I was about to make it out, I was right in the impact zone. And this big set came in. And I was going to take this one right on the head. There's just nothing I could do about it. Yeah. But I was in such good shape. I didn't really care, except there were so many people out. Normally, I would ditch my board right. at that point, but I didn't want to do it because I would have smacked somebody, right? Yeah. So I pushed this big-ass board down under the wave best I could, Yeah. and when it hit me, it was just like full-on, like, you know, watch cycle, t- tumble cycle in the watch machine, <laughs> and I'm gripping the board for dear life, just holding on to it, and the wave is trying to pull it out of my hands, like pull it away from me, Yeah. and I'm so I'm pulling it back, and then all of a sudden, like, the water, the pressure, whatever, underneath the water, like, shifted, and pushed it back into my face, and I just took the board and went smash right into my own face. <laughs> Cut my eye inside, like, on the eyelid. I remember that. And I came up out of the water, and this boogie boarder was next to me. I came up from underneath, and uh, I was looking in the right at this boogie board, and he yeah. was looking at me with his mouth open, like... I was like, is it bad? And he just, was, just nodded, like, with his mouth open, like... <laughs> I, I put my hand on my face, and I'm just tons of blood yeah. and i could tell that boogie board he was just thinking shark shark, shark i'm out here shark <laughs> <laughs> so fuck so i didn't get my i didn't get what that ocean owed me and that's why uh you and mike aren't friends still to this day that's right yeah we'll never forget it yeah he probably got barreled he's probably that guy you were yelling at <laughs> <laughs> is that mike holy shit all right so uh i got a few things to talk about um <clears throat> One of actually, I don't know how all these are going to fit together, but I'll I'll do my best to make it uh, make it seamless. Good morning. Time to get up and go to work. Um, 
So you know how you came up with that? Um, maybe you didn't come up with it, but there's that uh, thing that you brought to light that said that the way that the statists and the media, broadly speaking, the left, if you want to use that clunky terminology, um, gets things done is by starting with a solution. Mm-hmm. Then they come up with an action plan, and then they invent the problem yeah. at the end, right? Yeah. And I was thinking, like, well, how come we don't do that? Problem, like, action, solution. Yeah, but it's actually the, the opposite, right? Because they yeah. start with the solution. Yeah. Solution, action, problem. Exactly. And why don't we do that? How come we don't... But just present it to us in the inverse. As if that was... Right. Yeah, the case, that there was yeah. this problem that we needed to solve. But actually, they started... So the most glaring example that we use is the Patriot Act, for example. Yeah. It's like, oh, we have a solution for all this right now that was written, you know, a decade before that. But in reality, they came up with the the solution a decade before. It ties in very closely with the never let a good crisis go to waste. Like, we have the plan ready. Like, we just need the new Pearl Harbor, as we talked about two episodes ago. Like, we got to get this thing off the ground. We got to invade these countries somehow. Like, we need to get these shots in arms somehow. Like, we need uh, to combat. You know, we need uh, higher. We need to up the surveillance state of our entire country. You know, we need access to people's personal data. You know, so like, what about a war on domestic extremism, or we're going to combat disinformation? It's the same model. Any any war, the war on homelessness, right? Same thing. Yeah. Right. Oh, dude, I just (laughs) not to sidetrack. I just ran down the store to get something, and I saw a copy of the San Francisco Chronicle Sunday edition as we were recording this. Do you want to know what the title of the article, like it took up the entire front page, like it's their Sunday feature? It says, I do want to know. It says something like, lofty goals, San Francisco aims to have the homeless population. Wow, they're really lowering their <laughs> uh, <laughs> the bar, aren't they? I thought well, we were going to end it always. We went from Gavin Newsom, like, I'm going, to end, I'm going to end homeless in uh, San Francisco. You, you said you were going to end homelessness. <laughs> what is this half? Yeah, we're gonna, no, I said we're going to half it. Kind of half-assing it, if you ask me. <laughs> hey. <laughs> All right, so why don't why doesn't our side do that? What the people that we respect and look to for uh, solutions and how to the right way to organize society? How come we don't play that game? And I thought, you know, it's just such a chicken shit way to to do things that I and it's so antithetical to what we want, which is we want men to act like men mm-hmm. and be responsible and for their actions live up to the ideals that they say that they have. Mm-hmm. And if you do things where you, in this chicken shit way of you come up with this solution and then you create the action and then the problem, it's just really maniacal and, you know, underhanded to behave that way. Yeah, I'd agree. I think it depends on what the given issue is. And we have hit this quite a bit before. I think that for people like us or coming from our mentality, we're always kind of on our heels because it's, it's, you are trying to battle in the free market of ideas, let's just say. You're trying to battle authoritarians, which I see as our common enemy, right? Authoritarians, yes. people. And well, what's the opposite of anti, or authoritarians? Like, not anti-authoritarian, I'm just anti, like, I don't want authority. I don't, so therefore, like, I'm trying to battle an authoritarian. It's like I want control. I want I want to control what you eat, what you drive, the way you live. You know what you know, what your kid learns in school, everything. And I'm, and you have to battle that with. If you want to live like that, fine. Just I don't 
don't tell other people what to do. Right. It's such a weak fucking argument yeah. if you're in the trench warfare kind of battle of ideology that we are in right now. Yeah, just yeah. leave me alone, man. Yeah. What's your problem, bro? Yeah, you're the guy in the bar like, <laughs> I don't like to fight. This guy's like, well, I do. Like, fuck. <laughs> exactly. Well, and like our approach to everything is, you know, we we would be accused of hating poor people. Mm-hmm. You know, or you could say any libertarian or wealthy uh, capitalist, they hate poor people. No, I love poor people. I love everybody. That's my thing, yeah. man. All I want is for you to be rich. Actually, mm-hmm. I want poor people to get rich. I don't want to give free stuff to poor people because I think that that actually hurts them. Yeah. Right. We so my, my, I don't feel that that advantages them in any way. Yeah, exactly. Whereas the authoritarian says, no, we have a program, we have a way, we have this solution to this problem that we came up with, and we're going to impose that on everybody. We're like, no, 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 no. Just leave everybody alone. That's the solution that we want. But you can't hit someone over the head, like just like your analogy of the guy in the bar, you can't hit someone over the head with leave everybody alone. So, and then to take it one step further, that what we talk about all the time is that you're like, oh, well, what they do is they weaponize these terms. They make demonizations out of it, right? They turn an ideology into a pejorative, and you say, like, oh, you just don't care about poor people. It's like, I do. I care about everyone. I want everyone to have a better life. Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, you don't want you don't want to, like, support these programs. You want to, like, put this money, invest this money into this infrastructure, into this industrial complex that's going to help this problem. And from where we sit and what we talk about quite a bit is, like, no, what we're trying to do is point out is that You've been doing that. You've been doing that for a very long time. How's that working out, San Francisco? Mm-hmm. Like you are spending hundreds of millions of dollars on the homeless industrial complex. How is that working out? It's pretty good. We went from you're going to solve homelessness, we're going to have homelessness. It's what we're pointing out is like what you're doing is not working. So we need we need to come up with a different solution. How about a bold solution to quarter homelessness? <laughs> <laughs> huh? Now we're talking, and we just need more money. If yeah. we can have more money than we ever spent before, right. we can actually have homelessness now. Yeah. It's and I guarantee you, I actually have statistics on this somewhere. It's we also I, talked about in the in the same context what they did in LA. It's like we're gonna build this giant, we're gonna raise all this money, we're gonna build this giant basically condo complex and house the homeless. And what it came out to is like we also wanna point out that you guys it's either fraud or it's waste. You guys are so inefficient and so just unskilled at what you're doing as government bureaucrats, you spend all this money. It came out to, for a 500-square-foot unit, they're spending just over 600 grand per unit. And as, as builders, like, you know what I could, could have built for 600 grand? And it didn't, the program completely failed anyway. It didn't work. And so we just, when you're saying, like, oh, you don't care about the homeless, I was like, I do, but I want you to come up with a program that works or let someone else... You guys are clearly so bad at your job that we need to have someone else take charge of this. Because in the meantime, you're like, well, we got to try something. I'm like, yeah, you're trying something costs hundreds of millions of dollars of someone else's money. Yep. That's what we have the problem with. Exactly. Um, in 2020, I just found this. Santa Rosa spent $7.4 million on sheltering homeless, which more than doubled mm-hmm. what they were doing before that. And I don't know about you, but it doesn't seem like... The homeless it's situation has gotten, gotten better. better. Yes. If anything, it's gotten worse. Okay, well, just look at the simple numbers, though. I mean, we could also say um, California spends more on homeless than any other state in the nation. We also have over half of the nation's homeless in our state. 
There's a reason for that. Mm-hmm. It's not like, well, no, you, it, it's not a chicken or egg argument. Well, no, you guys just happen to have all those homelessness. And like, no, 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 no. They come here from other people, from other places, and then we spend all this money on it. I didn't mean to um, talk about uh, homelessness right now, but it brings up this um, this video that I found of this homeless guy in Texas who is saying that um, he gets paid to be homeless. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was I w- I tried to actually find out if that was the the case in Santa Rosa, but I couldn't see. But it made me think like. It must be the case that these liberal cities are giving homeless people money because why wouldn't they? Mm-hmm. You know what? It, it is exactly what everybody wants to do. I mean, I've seen you give homeless people money. Used to, yeah, yeah. I, you know, it's just something that when I lived in the city. I used to take random people out to dinner. That was like my thing. Yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> I just go like, hey, bud, how you do it? You want a burrito and a beer? Like, come on, yeah. I'll just I'll just get you what you want. This is, and, and I thought I was doing the right thing. I was like, well, I'm, I'm doing a really good thing here. You I were do that like on a regular basis, take homeless people out to, to the taquerias and get beers with them. You were doing a a purely emotional heart, act. A heartfelt doing, yeah. act of kindness, yeah. right? In in a normal society, that would be yeah. the right thing to do. If it was very uncomfortable to be homeless and we weren't trying to make it even easier to be homeless and therefore cre- you know incentivizing people to be homeless yeah. then that might still be the right thing to do. I used to do that too. I used to give socks out to to homeless people. Right. And if we lived in a society where it was illegal to be homeless, if our city made it illegal to be homeless, you could only be homeless in these certain areas or in these encampments or whatever and we were not giving money out to homeless people or doing things to make it easier to be homeless, then I believe that would be the right thing to do because you would not be in necessarily incentivizing homelessness. Yeah. Although you could convince me maybe you would be. But um, you know what drives me just batshit crazy about having – I can't even – I've lost count of how many times I've had this conversation is to have this – because we all want to – we're not going to solve this problem. It's an – it's an equation that can't be solved, but we can make it better for sure. And I've had just so many conversations with people where they just cannot get themselves to admit to what a large extent drugs is the problem. Uh, check this guy out. Okay. Right. Cause you walk down our bike pass, which yeah. where are the basically have become the homeless cities. Well, there's a very palpable and easily perceivable yeah. drug problem right. going on. And when you talk about something like, so can we talk about drugs? Like, no, dude, it's, you know, someone came upon hard times because they got a medical bill and it's the cost of housing. Yeah. I was like, dude, why has drugs not come out of your mouth like one time? Like, we can't, like, until you can do that, we really can't have an honest conversation. The legacy that. media will scour the earth to find a single mother of three who's yeah. living in a tent and working three part time jobs just to try to feed her kids. But, that is not the case. Yeah. When you go down that bike path, you will never see that. You will never find the homeless mother of three working three jobs. Yeah. That, that unicorn does not exist. But that's what they want us to believe is the face of homelessness. Yeah. Not this guy right here, who's actually in uh, San Francisco, not Texas. My bad. It's pretty easy here. I mean, if we're going to be realistic, they pay you to be homeless here. This right now is, is literally by choice. Literally by choice. Like, why would I want to pay rent? I'm not doing I got a cell phone that I have Amazon Prime and Netflix on. Now, it's like the cops are 
It's like they're your neighbor, you know? <laughs> they're paying me to be homeless? <laughs> Here I am sitting all stressed about work tomorrow. I, I have all these meetings and stuff that I have to go through. <laughs> By the way, can we just we cut the shit with the cussing on TV? Like th that beeping made it so you couldn't understand half of what the guy was saying. I like, thought is that it earlier. Really, this, that fucking I, I bad. That earlier this week is, um, I think the last of social media on is Instagram, and I'm pretty much only there to put up the occasional picture of my family, my kids, and my family members. Go like, oh, okay, they're still alive, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> they had a some OnlyFans looking girl out there and they had her uh, nipples blurred out. Yeah. I was like, dude, the video above that was someone being executed by a Mexican drug cartel. So it's like, <laughs> why, like, really, can we just, just show the nipples or don't show read, the execution? Like, read the nipple, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. I'm with you. Janet Jackson fucked us all. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to change gears a little bit. Um, I feel like it's our duty to talk about something that uh, we might not know that much about. On this definitely, podcast? <laughs> we're definitely not the most uh, informed people when it comes to this topic. So John Wayne Gacy, right? I want to go through a couple <laughs> uh, stats here real okay. quick. That one we could talk about. Um, I want to talk about CBDC a little bit. Central Bank Digital Currency. Yeah, we hit this a uh, little bit last week. We've talked about it kind before. Yeah, we talked about it a yeah. bit before. And then you and I uh, met for a beer, and you were saying you had kind of an alternative perspective on it. Yeah. So I was kind of curious to hear. Well, it's alternative in, in that I've given it some thought, and mm -hmm. I, I don't necessarily think that it's um, exactly what we're all scared that it is. We should be scared of it. Mm -hmm. But the reason has become more clear to me on why it's so scary. And so my coming to understand it hopefully will help anyone else that's, you know, maybe unfamiliar with it or um, un unsure why it's so bad. Because it's kind of an abstract concept, yeah. Yeah. right? I would say the vast majority of people, at least in my experience, are like, what are you talking well, I've never heard of that before in my life. So... That and the other 90% of the things that come out of my mouth. Make insomnia work for you. <laughs> exactly. Dude, I've been sleeping so much lately. Yeah, yeah. It's really hurting my research game. Yeah. So I got you covered, my man. Central bank digital currency. There's four letters in the CBDC abbreviation, mm -hmm. right? So digital currency is nothing new. I mean... It's currency. We all deal with currency. You're forced to use the U.S. dollar if you live in America. Right. You have to accept it if you run a business, and you have to use it if you're trying to buy things. You can't go around with a pocket of, uh, you know, ruples or something and try to try to buy stuff. No one will accept it. And in fact, you're not allowed to. You're technically forced to use the legal tender of the United States of America. I got your point. Whether it's right or wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is basically paper money in today's mm -hmm. standard, which we ever since covered. we've gotten off the, the, the gold standard, um, Nixon, thanks. Nixon, right? Took yeah. Off the gold standard, yeah. Um, Brenton, Britain, Brenton Hicks or whatever the agreement was. Britain when, Hicks. Yeah. Yeah. 
um, which I'm not an expert on this, so I'm not going to try to yeah. go deep into that. But um, basically, it was it was when we went off the gold standard. It suffice it just to leave it at that. Um, so that's the currency part of central bank digital currency. The digital part, well, we all have digital currency as it exists now. Mm-hmm. Every time you pay for something, pretty much, you're using your card or some sort of digital transaction. Anytime you order something online, um, yes, you can pay for things in cash, but, I mean, if you get a $500,000 loan for a house, you're not getting $500,000 in cash. Yeah. That's all digital. Even if it comes in the form of a check, you cash that check, or you put that check in your bank, and it's all digital. You know, the, yeah. the numbers go from one bank to the other. Yeah, we covered this in depth uh, last episode, right? Yep. Yep. Um, and so it, that's kind of like the... Uh, the the D and the C of CBDC the 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 B being the bank pretty much you know we have banks that that do that for us now it's not us trading gold between I see where you're going one and another the part that's scary about central bank digital currency is the central right part so the only thing that's changing and that we should really be worried about is the centralization of our currency correct you would you would think it was centralized already but it's you still have a bank so if they want to control and and the reason that it's scary is because centralization of the currency could mean of a digital currency could mean centralized control over that currency yeah we don't have that now your bank in order for the a central uh government or whatever control um center to control your currency they would have to go through your bank and get your bank to freeze your account and they would need the bank to comply they would need the bank to comply i would so assume they would one, it, they, they would 100 percent. but it's still one extra step that yeah. they have to go to so up in canada when they froze the bank accounts of the, the truckers, truckers right they didn't need cbdc to do that yeah right they, they just told the, the banks what to do yeah right and that could exist i mean that i i can see that happening in our our society now you can or you can't i can't oh yeah absolutely easily right yeah i mean it's not that hard to imagine that the fed real government would go and tell your bank hey shut down this in fact they do that probably for people that are like suspected terrorists or there are extreme cases where they already would no they do do that they do do that to uh that happened to nick fuentes um that's happened to a lot of they said the wrong things on podcasts or they went they attended um that's also happened on the people that attended the america first conference which was touted by the FBI. Really? Yeah. They froze so, their bank um, accounts. I'm trying to think. God, I'm blanking on the woman's name. They froze her bank account. They froze her husband's bank account, who didn't attend the conference. They also put them on a no-fly list, and they weren't able to get Airbnbs. They contacted Airbnb, like you can't rent. So her husband, who travels separately for business, wasn't able to get travel accommodations, couldn't fly, and couldn't get a place to stay. The government went out of their way contacted these organizations like you can't let these people stay here they attended this terrorist con- uh, convention which wasn't it was an america america first con- the AF, the af conference mm-hmm. afpac i think it's called it just, right. it just got to me yeah so nick fuentes and I'm, I, I wish i had the others that other woman's name on the ready but yeah it, it's already happening mm-hmm. so i think so when you bring up the notion of the central banking di- digital currency it's not that all of a sudden this horrific thing is going to start happening. It's already happening. It's been happening. It's been happening for quite a while. It's getting way, way worse, and it's excelling. Mm-hmm. It's 
when you and I had the conversation, I was like, I think what they're trying to do is streamline the process. Mm-hmm. It's circumnavigating like, well, I don't want to get a hold of Bank of America and Airbnb and Southwest Air- Southwest Airlines. Well, what if I just had this file? I was like, nope, you're done. Right. Like you said that online, you're done. And that's the central part of the equation that I think you're bringing up. Exactly. And that's why it's bad. But what they're doing already is bad. Right. Oh yeah, it's already happened. So this is nothing new. And so for me, I just I'm not as worried about central bank digital currency as I am just about the federal government uh, controlling people's mm-hmm. lives. Right. And I just feel like the well, it, it, it's a great moment though to for outrage. Like let's all get outraged about central bank digital currency because they are trying to do it, and it is a great moment in time to try to use this to wake people up to what's for one what's going on with with the fed and trying to ruin people's lives just simply for having a political opinion that goes contrary to the mainstream ideas Mm -hmm. but for two it also is a great moment in time to reflect on why a central bank is bad in the first place. Why printing money is bad. Why the Fed is so bad. Let's use this central bank digital currency scare that we're all worried about right now, well, that you and I are worried about and a lot of the people that we listen to are talking about, mm-hmm. to get people to act, to get people to comment, to boycott, to, to you know, <laughs> it's so funny because this, the shit that's going on with, uh, Bud Light and Dylan Mulvaney <laughs> right now. I was camping over the weekend and I heard multiple Bud Light jokes from like campsites just like walking <laughs> by them. <laughs> it was pretty funny. It's like, okay, good. You know, I, I'm I'm outraged also, I guess. You know, well, not really. It's kind of... Like, when's the last time I drank Bud Light? <laughs> I'm way more interested in, in trying to turn Budweiser into the right-wing beer brand <laughs> than I am trying to boycott. I think that's a hell of an idea. Um, but the outrage is real. People are pissed off about it. Mm-hmm. And rightfully so. They're tired of having this kind of stuff, this culture that doesn't make any sense, that doesn't appeal to anybody, yeah. any normal people, shoved down their throats and told you have to accept it, just like that commercial I was talking about last time with the girl with the mustache. <clears throat> Right. Which, which I've heard other people complaining about since we did that. Was like, you showed that to me. I was just like, oh, you kind of dug up a nugget there. That's interesting. And then I don't know if it's like, once you buy a white truck, like, shit, well, everyone's white got trucks. a white truck. <laughs> I just saw that commercial. Like, everyone was like, dang, dude, they're, they're, they're going heavy on this commercial mm-hmm. for sure. And so, yeah, I just think that uh, we're doing our little part here to talk about it, and I hope that it becomes – a a thing that fuck your CBDC becomes mm-hmm. a chant that people say over and over again because wake up to the, the fact that you don't need the control of the government uh, in your life to, to tell you, um, to keep you safe, to keep you healthy, to keep you from eating the wrong things, uh, to keep you from giving money to so-called terrorist organizations, yeah. which is one of the arguments that they'll they'll use to try to, remember, to that's, sell this. And that's how we talked about, remember we talked about, we made the parallels for in the, uh, right after 9-11, 
early 2000s is they had government sponsored commercials of like don't buy marijuana your money yes. is going to Remember a drug that? dealer who supports Al Qaeda who who basically you are supporting the people who flew planes into the towers I was like even at that I was like are you serious who is buying this the exact same thing is happening. They use the same. They didn't even fucking tweak the template at all. They're using the exact same business model. It's adorably hilarious. That's exactly what yeah. it is. So, uh, and so when people say like, "Well, you know, people, you know, cryptocurrency, you shouldn't do cryptocurrency. Why? Because like, well, you can't track where it goes and blah blah blah. blah. I'm like, so what? Like, well, you could use that money like to support terrorism. Like, you don't think U.S. dollars are supporting terrorism right now? <laughs> Are you fucking serious? Let's crack a history book together. No shit. Well, then you can make the same argument for cash, too. You yeah. shouldn't use cash. Yeah. Like, okay. I mean, if you really believe that everyone in the world is better off if the government can control everything that they do, mm-hmm. then you have not paid attention to anything that it's, happened in the 20th century. It's You are trying to apply... Facts and logic to religious fundamentalism. It's people have statism is religion, it, and I know this makes people really upset, but it is. It's people that have their their knee jerk kind of prism from which they view the world is that government's going to take care of it all. They're good. You know, my guy's in office now, so I don't have to worry. I hate this guy, but they're all the same fucking guys. It's like the one point that we try to nail on this podcast is. Republican, Democrat, they're all the fucking same guy. Neither one of them gives a shit about you. They are vastly invested in propelling this ridiculously perverted power hierarchy where they're just supporting the military-industrial complex, making money hand over fist, getting rich. Look at the average net worth of your congressperson. Dude, we need to Look at the average congress salary. Uh, That's all you need to know. We need to make a documentary uh, like the Going Clear documentary that Leah Remini did of getting out of Scientology. Oh. But we'll make it a mockumentary about getting out of statism. <laughs> yeah, statism. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this is Christine Lagarde. She is the European Central Bank president. This clip's been going around a lot, so maybe you've seen this already. But I haven't. Um, she is talking to who she thinks is Vladimir Zelensky. but i've heard the audio it's not really what's what's most interesting about this clip is just how clearly she states and she's being candid because she doesn't think she's talking to the media Mm -hmm. but she states exactly why they want the central bank digital currency why it should be put in place and it's all about control as she will tell you in her own words right here don't want europe to be dependent on an unfriendly country's currency. For instance, I don't know, you know, the Chinese currency, the Russian currency, the Mm -hmm. whatever. Mm -hmm. Or dependent on a friendly currency, but which is activated by a private corporate entity like, you know, Facebook or like uh, Google or anybody like I'm a user of Bitcoin too, so... I had bought it uh, when it started, and uh, I, I hope that uh, it also will work in through the special system. And uh, I know there are many protests in Europe uh, against uh, the electronic euro. Uh, mm-hmm. What is the reason? 
You know, it's it's the beauty of Europe. It has different uh, positions. If you ask in Northern Europe, for instance, uh, in the Netherlands, they're quite happy to see the e-euro coming. If you ask a young German um, man, he'll say, yeah, fine. As I said, I don't want Meta, Google or Amazon to suddenly come up with a currency that would take over the sovereignty of Europe. I don't want a foreign currency to become the currency of trading within Europe. So we have to be ready. No, the problem is they don't want to be controlled. Uh, they don't want to... Uh... <laughs> yeah, but she you thought this was still <laughs> <so much key>. <laughs> no. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's such a bad accent. Half-ass fucking Vegas <laughs> off-strip performers doing totally. skateboard. All right. It's hilarious. Here comes the quiet part. Okay. Now we have in Europe this threshold above 1,000 euros, you cannot pay cash. If you do, you're on the gray market. So you take mm -hmm. your risk. You get caught, you are fined, or you go in jail. But, you know, the the... the Digital euro is going to have a limited amount of control. There will be control. You're right. You're completely right. Mm -hmm. We are considering whether for very small amounts, you know, anything that is around 300, 400 euros, we could have a mechanism where there is zero control. But that could be dangerous. The terrorist attacks on France uh, back uh, 10 years ago were entirely financed by those very small anonymous credit cards that you can recharge in total anonymity. So they might consider under 300 euros that you could keep it unanimous, but that unanimous, but then again, uh, I guess not because you, with very small donations, you could fund a terrorist attack right. in France. So guess what? You're going to have to give up all of your freedom on the slight chance that somebody might be able to sponsor terrorism. In France. Well, that's Europe. Mm -hmm. I mean, the U.S. isn't doing that at the $600 threshold. Hang on, I'm looking at... Oh, the U.S. is doing that. Yeah, the cutoff is $600. Check out this map I found. This is all the countries in the world that are doing um, central bank digital currency. So everything in... Blue would be the ones that have already been launched, and there, I believe, there's only one. Oh, it's in. It's actually in here in the Bahamas. Mm -hmm. They. It's called the Sand Dollar. <laughs> <laughs> That's clever. I know. And uh, another, yeah, Jamaica has it also. Uh, and then the rest of the map. It just. It's kind of cool. It shows you all the places that are yeah. either doing it or researching it, and what that currency is called. And this map is very pro, or the, the organization that came up with this is very pro central bank digital right. currency. So um, I love it, though. Who's canceled there? Peru? Ecuador. Ecuador. I love that Ecuador canceled it. And the name that of their digital currency, because a lot of them have, like, you know, the kind of interesting names for it. And a little bit of, they put a little creativity into it. The E-dollar, the the... Inaria for Nigeria. It's named after the different aspects of the country. But what are, what are the uh, countries that are, that are just blank? It's like ah, we don't nothing. <laughs> we that don't. means that they're not researching it. They haven't considered it. They're not pursuing it. Um, but the name of the 
the CBDC in Ecuador is the Dinero Electronico. So it just seems like they didn't really put in the effort. And then they got a little bit in like, ah, we tried. It's not going to work. Fuck this. <laughs> so they canceled it. <laughs> well done, Ecuador. I don't know. But, uh, yep, the United States has three projects in the works right now to develop this central bank digital currency. And it'll go through unless we all <sighs> react. And it matters that it does that there is outrage. It matters if you call up and complain to whoever. Call your local radio station. Call us. Send us an email. I mean, the, the shit... If it gets attention... It is the our politicians are not going to go for it. If we support the politicians who are stacking up against it, then they're going to get reelected, and people like them are going to get elected. So, um, you know, this is kind of a half-assed attempt at uh, doing the CBDC thing, but I felt like it uh, was, we're going to we're going to be doing more of this. Yeah, it was just, I've, I've been looking into this quite a bit. I felt like we had a responsibility to at least kind of try to uh, say something yep. about it, and like you said, we'll we'll say more. But, uh, yeah, keep your head on a swivel, people. Yes, sir. It's coming. So I came across this article in Reuters, which is just such a great source of (laughs) ridiculous articles. Um, At least we're not paying for it with our tax dollars. Go on if you want to get into that. Nice. So you have things uh, printed out there. Very professional. Documents here. Um. So this article, G7 to discuss digital currency standards, crypto regulation by Lika Kihara. I am 99% sure she did not write this article. I can guarantee she didn't. What she did came from Reuters. What she did was assemble a bunch of talking points that were given yeah. to her. It's a very short article, so um, she's probably actually an AI program. Uh, so she says that uh, the group of seven, the G7 got together to talk about how to help developing countries introduce CBDC. And this phrase comes up over and over again. Consistent with appropriate international standards. Like, what the fuck are appropriate international standards? Appropriate? Like what, they don't use curse words? Mm -hmm. Or drop any N-bombs in their implementation? Um. That's what Japan's top security diplomat said. So, and it's, he's not the only one. It's obviously a talking point. The appropriate standards are are key. Um, so, this guy said we have to address the risks from the development of CBDC by ensuring factors such as appropriate transparency and sound governance. There it is again. Um. As a priority this year, the G7 will consider how best to help developing countries introduce CBDC consistent with appropriate standards, including the G7 public policy for retail CBDC. And that is key, what he said right there, retail. Because right now, if you talk to anyone involved in it in the United States, they will say, no, 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 the CBDC that we're talking about is only for commercial use, for uh, intergovernmental right. interactions and things. We're not going to be using it for retail. or Which is consumers. disturbing because when you see language attributed to a call or a plea or a suggestion that we're going to overhaul a, a, a fairly significant existing structure based on what? Based on appropriate measures or whatever they call right. it or it, it it's the same thing when people say like well we need to 
cleanse the internet. We need to start censoring speech based on what? Hate speech. Yeah. Appropriate measures, hate speech are the same thing. Because when you go like, well, what's hate speech? Like, we'll let you know. Mm-hmm. Who we decides know, that? We know it when we uh, see it. We'll, we'll decide. You'll, you'll, you'll know. We'll tell you when yeah. we get there. I have an idea. And for these dummies to go like, duh, that sounds like, I mean, hate's a bad thing. I mean, it sounds like a good idea. You're, you're a fucking idiot. Like, this is done purposefully. This is the Trojan right. horse to get in there and go, you know, to get into our financial system or our information or our social media, whatever it is. Like, we're, we've been trying to overhaul this entire infrastructure for decades. We've been trying to overhaul the Constitution. Absolutely. The appropriate standards that we should all be looking to standards. is the Constitution. Mm-hmm. How about that? Let's just use the Bill of Rights for, you know, one section of the Constitution. Does it meet that? If not, fuck off. Yeah, but no, we're, we need appropriate standards. They can't come right out and say uh, we need to be able to control people every which way that we can. Right. No, we're going to do appropriate standards. Um. So, Conda, the vice minister for international affairs, said that the rapid innovation of digital technology provides various benefits, but also fresh challenges, such as the list four here. I'm going to see what you have. You could translate these for me. One. Cybersecurity, <laughs> two misinformation, ah, three social and political divides, and four Domestic destabilizing issues. financial markets. Ah, yeah. Okay, so number one, cybersecurity, also known as Klaus Schwab would say sterilizing the internet. Sterilizing, I was say cleansing the internet. Exactly. Two misinformation, also known as censorship. Yes. Three, social and political divides. What does that mean? Right-wingers. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone going against the existing narrative. Exactly, right? If one thing this podcast has given me is an ability to read the news. I know. Dude, me too. You know? I've gotten so good at it. Yeah. yeah. Aren't we good at this, people? <laughs> Folks? <laughs> Four, destabilizing financial markets. So I think that's a limited hangout. Um, for the impending collapse of the dollar. Yeah. I, I read more and more into this uh, over the last week, actually, as someone who reads. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> it's amazing. Dude, every, I read multiple articles, people saying, like, this is, we're, we're, we're about to see a crash here that's mm-hmm. beyond what we saw in 2008. Yeah. Like, this is going to be very, very serious. I know. Which is terrifying. Well, especially for us who's looking to start a female hockey league. Or no, rugby. Rugby <laughs> league. Yes. I mean, who's going to go watch rugby games? Right. Uh, yeah. The dollar's not worth anything. Not a lot of extra cash, cash laying around We're for everyone. Figure that one out. Um, yeah, So, because he said these are uh, this, the rapid innovation of CBDC is, provides a, a lot of benefits, but also f- challenge, fresh challenges. And then he, the last one being destabilizing financial markets. It's like, you're not worried about these challenges. You're throwing these terms out there so that you can later on say, well, now we really need this because of the destabilized financial markets and the misinformation Mm. and the social political divides, i.e. right-wingers, and cybersecurity. So we got to scrub the internet. Um, And then this, this keeps coming up, which I wanted to say something about too. For crypto assets, there are a bit of diverging views among countries, but consensus is definitely that we need more regulation, particularly after the FTX shock. Oh, is, that's what he said. Oh, my God. <laughs> is that the consensus amongst who, fuckface? And why did the FTX 
crypto company, why did they fail? Why uh, why did they fail and Bitcoin didn't fail? Bitcoin's well, doing awesome. I looked at my Bitcoin this morning. I was like, we're looking good. We're looking good here. Yeah. Well, Bitcoin. Buy the dip, baby. Yeah. Buy the dip. Bitcoin is a viable alternative. Not that Bitcoin. Currency. Bitcoin's not a crypto, as we would say. Right. We got spanked last time. I still don't. <laughs> yeah. I still don't know if that's. Yeah, we're not. We're not even gonna try to explain it. There are other people that can do this, but. Um. As yeah. as far as a true centralized decentralized currency, Bitcoin, I think, is your. You're not going to do better than that. No, yeah, that is the the gold standard <laughs> to <laughs> use a pun, I guess. <laughs> For uh, well, it's that's funny because gold guys and crypto guys will often debate which one is actually yeah a, uh, a viable currency. Meanwhile, they they are that five percent debating among each other. I and know like everyone else's population is like, I hate these wingnuts. They're ruining everything. And the statists are sitting back going. <laughs> <laughs> So the crypto thing comes up a lot when the CBDC conversation happens, and it makes no sense to me because they couldn't be more unrelated. That's based. Complete, when I say crypto, I'm talking about decentralized. Out of ignorance, in my experience, I'm talking about decentralized currency. I don't. Well, it is in some cases, but I think that articles like this, which wasn't actually written by Lika Kihara, mm-hmm. it doesn't come up out of ignorance. It comes up out of people in power trying to scare the plebes into thinking that crypto yeah. is bad. Oh, they, they've been, and we need CBDC to, to, in order to regulate crypto because if we don't regulate it, then all sorts of bad financial things are going to happen. They've been trying to yank the bottom out of the crypto market for quite a while. Yes. It's, it's such a threat. And there is like, you can't, there can't be all this money being made on a currency that we don't have our hands on somehow. That's not going through us. Or there can't be this alternative to our central control. Mm-hmm. That's completely decentralized. Right. And immune to inflation, yeah, because it can never be there can never be more of it made, yeah, right. I mean, it's it's the perfect currency aside from the fact that you can't use it for anything except currency, which yeah. would be the argument for gold and against crypto. Um, but they always try to tie it into the CBDC debate, and oftentimes you'll hear proponents of CBDC, which the only people that are proponents of it are psychopathic authoritarians or people that just don't understand what they're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, and if that's the person there are, there that are, person's trying to sell you, there's CBDC. a very small margin of ten percent of like I think just complete governmental control of everything and subjugation and a fifty minute city and a centralized bank and digital currency. That sounds like a great idea. Everything's gonna be totally organized. I don't have to make any decisions for myself. It's all controlled by these other people, and we have all these other people that they have too much money anyway, and then. You know, they're deciding, like, what they can eat. Like, if we can get those people to decide, like, if everyone's on public transportation and it's like, dude, oh, oh, boy. We're going to get into my thing on another episode because it's going to be too long at this point. (laughs) Uh, They're also developing an enzyme that is going to make people unable to digest meat. Oh, my God. And Stop. Stop. Yeah, okay. If you can't win an argument with that person who's telling you that <laughs> CBDC and central control is what we all need, then you haven't read enough books. Right. Or you haven't had enough just free-ranging conversations about this stuff. I mean, that should be so easy for everybody to disprove. Or that person just, you know, is a full-on just rabid Marxist, yeah. communist. And it's hard to win arguments with people like that anyway. So it's either one or the other. Anyways, uh, 
that's my pitch against CBDC, and I hope everybody gets fired up about this in the same way that we're fired up about Bud Light. God damn it. Well done. <laughs> I think we should do it, dude. Come on. You've been you want to? teasing this for a while. Yeah. Okay. I want to hear it. It's fucking long. How long? Like uh, four or five hours. Well, that's going to take... <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's take longer it. than normal anyways. <laughs> so I can do it. Okay. So some of the stuff that you are familiar with is I had texted you at the beginning of the week, like, man, I'm on, I'm on to some dark shit. So much so that, like, I don't even know that I even want to talk about this because it's going to kind of severely bum me out. Yeah. I know. Yeah, but I've that's been, not going to stop me. looking forward to this <laughs> in a really dark me. way. <laughs> like, I can't wait to hear so this. So I, I gave you the bare bones of some of the stuff. So we got to start out with some fairly kind of benign, obscure kind of legal precedent, which is always exciting. Okay. Is, are you familiar with the case Monsanto versus uh, Schmeiser? Yes. <laughs> of course you are, because we talked about it. And this is an expert from the Agricultural Policy Analysis Center. And basically this court case, kind of the overview of it, it's a multi-generational farmer named Percy Schmeiser, which is a very odd name who had bred and grown his own strain of canola for over 40 years in Bruno, Saskatchewan, Canada, multi-generational farm. So he picked up his, I think it originally was his grandfather's farm, and he kept growing it. Now, in 1997, he found seeds on this farm that were uh, glyphosate-tolerant strain of seeds, but he didn't know it at the time because what you do as a farm, you harvest, take your seeds, replant, on and on and on, business as usual. Yep. Right? So, do you know what glyphosate is? Are you familiar with it? No. It's basically, it's... Uh, uh, my chemistry is <laughs> rusty at best. <laughs> okay, I told you to brush up on that today. <laughs> it's uh, it's an integral ingredient in the Monsanto-made Roundup, or Roundup Ready. It's uh, an insecticide that you can... Is it the uh, chemical you, that uh, they were being sued over? Yes. Like... The guy that said he got sick from it? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Multiple times, not just one guy. There's okay. a lot of people trying to sue Monsanto, who's not a company anymore, by the way, which we're, we're going to get into. Mm. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's basically it's, it's an inse- it's to make um, plant. I'm not going to try to get into the chemistry of it, which I actually, yeah, which actually did do a dive on. But <laughs> the stuff I'm going to get into today is so like heavily clinical, so I'm going to try to st- st- uh, streamline it as best I can. But... So Monsanto discovered in 1998 this like this guy is growing our strain of canola with it with our uh, glyphosate tolerant plant. You mean rapeseed? Rapeseed. I know you got something to say here. No, <laughs> there's no canola plant. Okay, as far we'll just say corn, whatever okay. you want, whatever whatever you want to call it. So then you looked into what they're saying is we hold the patent on this strain of. Corn, rapeseed, canola, whatever you want to call it. And you look at, there is, and you and I had talked about, when I brought this up, you you pitched right in with this, is that farmers are allowed to actually grow this seed of corn, but what they have to do is purchase it on an annual basis from Monsanto, who holds the patent on this specific genetic material. Um, Think of it as a subscription service for you know, the way that you would uh, subscribe to audible.com or anything, but only this company is 
headed by the Antichrist and is hell-bent on destroying fucking all of humanity, which we're going to get into a little yeah, bit. odd prescri- uh, subscription to <laughs> yes, sign up for. Yes. So they go back and they say, like, this guy, Percy Schmeiser, If never- you were considering signing up for that subscription from Monsanto, <laughs> how about instead going over to Patreon and subscribe to the Liberty Tree Social Club and get yourself some cool swag in the process. Hold on, I'm going to get me... Cheers. Oh, my God. We actually hit our advertising for once. (laughs) (laughs) So it was found that this guy Schmeiser, this farmer. It sounds like his last name. It's like it's it was Miser, but someone was just like dismissing him like Miser Schmeiser. Yeah, no, it's it's like it's a P.E. bully nickname. It sucks. (laughs) If you ever wanted to Schmeiser. You can't you can't really go anywhere with Schmeiser. It's already made fun of itself. Schmeiser Schmeiser. So it was found that this guy never purchased any seeds for Monsanto. So Monsanto brought the lawsuit against Schmeiser. And Schmeiser's dis- defense essentially was, look, I do business as usual every year. I, I get the seeds. Like, I don't I don't know what you guys, you know what I mean? Turns out Monsanto had their patented seeds, their patented genetic material on farms around the area. And, you know, wild speculation, maybe some bizarre natural occurrence the wind, maybe. Hmm. And he found the seeds on his land. And then you're talking about propagating your peppers, everything, how you the seeds pick up each other's genetic material. I'm yeah. like, I try to like get, get uh, in the nuts and bolts of this. I'm if you want to jump in, go for it. Pretty pretty renowned farmer in my neighborhood. So Schweizer's uh defense essentially hands on hinged on. I'm like, I do the same thing every year. If someone plants something, you know, on the plot next to me and it blows onto my farm, like what how am I to prevent that? Number two, like how am I all of a sudden exploiting some patented genetic material? Like, I haven't changed my business practices at all. Whether or not that's true, who knows? But doesn't matter. Like, I'm just I'm getting into the legal precedent of this case is what's important. It's a goddamn travesty. It and is. And, yeah, anyone who's heard about that case can't believe that he... Well, you, I think you told me he won the case, but he didn't really because he is not allowed to harvest his own seeds anymore. Yeah. Fuck off. Yeah. And this is where you get uh, the religious fundamentalist statist all of a sudden taking the side of Monsanto. You're like, oh, boy, God, we are in such a fucking bizarre clown world. So to quote the article, the Canadian court found Schmeiser guilty of selling or otherwise depriving the plaintiffs, Monsanto, of their exclusive, exclusive rights to use plants which the defendants, Schmeiser, know or ought to know were Roundup tolerant or using the seed from such plants. So months, I did some more digging on this. Schmeiser, Schmeiser. I can't, you can't <laughs> I know, say it. I know. Every time you say it. I'm like... Was absolved of the financial part of the dispute. And they only, what was interesting to me is there's a lot of conflicting information about it. And there's actually a movie made about it that mm. stars Christopher Walken. I think oh. they call it Percy versus Goliath. I've never seen it. Mm. But I've heard it's really good. Is that um, Monsanto was only trying to hit him up for like 130 grand, not like life-breaking money. But Well, it's a really bad optic. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And so he was absolved of the financial part of the lawsuit, but he was also said, like, you can't grow if they're – they own the legal precedent was set that Monsanto owns this genetic material, right? And you can't grow it. He's like, it's all over my land. I can't get rid of it. What am I supposed to do? They're like, well, you don't have to pay the fine of 130 grand. But in the end, even though technically he 
Sounds like he won the court case, but he lost. He lost his livelihood. He lost his farm. He's like, I can't grow anything on my land. Because Monsanto said, and the judge said, if you profit at all, that's they, they own the pat, patent on this genetic material. You never paid them for it. So therefore, they own everything on your land, which is the point of this. So article. fucking Canadian, isn't it? it? I know. I, I got to think that in the United States, y- you, you don't lose to Monsanto in that situation. I mean, the wind, you can't control the fucking wind. Yeah. Eh? There's got to <laughs> there's gotta be a way, and I think I said this to you before, where wherever Monsanto is doing their research, whatever their farm is, that you just drive your truck by with, like, a an envelope full of, like, some genetic material that you have a patent on and just kind <laughs> of out the window, and it just, like, floats into their farm, and then, you know... 20 years down the road, you go, hey, wait a second. Uh, in every single one of your products all over, you have my genetic material. Odd coincidence, huh? And then, okay, call they, up Mike. They, call up Mike Gordon. We're doing this right now. <laughs> you also own. Mike, where are you on uh, genetic sequencing patented law? <laughs> well, I happen to have something right here, guys. Uh, Man, I tell you, how that this works. is a real bear. Okay, here I go. Um, so, of course, in true Liberty Tree... Fashion, as I'm researching this, I say to myself, self, self. at 2 a.m., why just stay on this? Like, let's take, uh, let's get sidetracked and go crazy down like another deep rabbit hole. So I start looking into Monsanto. Have you looked into the history of Monsanto? Of course not. Of course not. But you don't have to. I'm here to tell you about what it. What sane person would say yes to that <laughs> question? Is, uh... Speaking of the Antichrist, if there was ever a company that represented the Antichrist, this would be very close. This mm. is up there with like a BlackRock or a Raytheon or a Lockheed Martin or a DuPont or a Dow Chemical. Like it's insane. It, it, and this is what the known history that we you know, uh, lawsuits that they have settled, things I, that they brought up on criminal cr- criminal charges for. I have heard that before. Yeah. So they uh, founded in 1901. Uh, the first product they ever brought to market was a little something called saccharin, which we know is fucking poison. Yeah. So much so that we knew was they knew it was poison back then. Coca-Cola bought the their technology, the saccharin product, as a sugar substitute. And even the government, the U.S. government at that time said, like, this is poison. This is unfit for human consumption, it said in the lawsuit. You can't bring this to market. Monsanto won that lawsuit. And because of that lawsuit, they made so much money on saccharin, the new sugar substitute, which was fed to every human. And I don't know, we can talk about the obesity and diabetes <laughs> rates that we see today, which very much has to do with this. Uh, they become one of the most powerful and profitable companies in the world, chemical companies. So their next move was to team up with Bayer from Bayer Apps Aspirin, which was their main product. So then, of course, I go, let's look into Bear, <laughs> right? As one does. Bear was a spinoff from a German company called IG Farben. Hmm. Ring a bell? No. It shouldn't. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is where things get a little interesting. Now, this is something the other tour guides won't tell you. IG Farben was a widely, like, huge, profitable chemical company in the 1930s in Germany. <laughs> I go like, Germany, huh. chemicals, 1930s. <laughs> like, let's dive in. <laughs> let's see what we can find. IG Farben's labor force was supported almost exclusively by concentrated concentration ca- uh, camp labor. So much so 
that they built their plant on the edge of Auschwitz uh, to produce their chemicals. And so they would take all the prison camp labor, produce all the chemicals, and then they send them back to the concentration camp, and it became this wildly profitable. I mean, they had free labor. Yeah, and with a very short commute. With I mean, very extremely, yeah. No, I don't like to commute. Do you no. like to commute? I mean, no. Last no. thing I want to do after a hard day in a yeah, hard day in a concentration exactly. camp is sit in traffic so, all the way I mean, home. If you really think about it, this is like the world's first fifty-minute city. I mean, it's, 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 <laughs> it's kind beautiful, of a nice model. I hope they were carpooling. Uh, one of its standout products, and this is uh, some f- horrific irony, was Zyklon B, which was used. Mm. So the concentration camp labor would go to the factory, make Zyklon B go back to the concentration camp and end up in the gas chamber with the gas that they just produced. The irony. I mean... They probably would have died of irony if the gas didn't get... <laughs> Man, did your feet just get warm? Yeah. <laughs> Big time. <laughs> so, obviously, uh, eventually this was all dissolved when the Germans lost the war and all these high-ups and the high-ups in IG Farben were put on trial for war crimes. And but uh, as the political elites are wont to do, they received either no or very light sentences, and were always let out for or got hired in the United States as part of Project Paperclip. <sighs> <laughs> Funny you should say that. Uh, one of these guys was named uh, God dang was Fritz Fritz Demir was his name. He was one of the head-ups of IG Farben and overseeing the Zyklon B program. Went to, got a slap on the wrist. I spent some minimal time in jail. Was let out and immediately became the president of Bayer, who Bayer bought Monsanto. So when we talk about Nazis, like, uh, I need you guys to show up on time for work. That's that's something a fucking Nazi would say. Mm-hmm. Or uh, I like to landscape my yard. Yeah, that's that's white supremacy, which are Nazis. Or mm-hmm. you know, only a Nazi would say that he wants to lower his taxes. Yeah, it's like no, these are actual. They got the cute little uniform and everything. Actual Nazis. Right. This became Bear, which made aspirin, which made Monsanto, which became Roundup. Yeah, like if yeah. you had if you had said like, I want to gas the Jews. Like oh, that's so- typical Nazi. Sl- Saying, yeah, right? but showing up to work on time, not <laughs> right. I'm just trying to, yes, unwind what you just it's, said. It's trick, dude. Keep, Ga- keep gassing it. the Jews is a Nazi, is a Nazi, slogan. yeah, okay. yeah. Showing up to work on time, not, not Nazi, not a Nazi. Okay, thank you. Okay, I did not see that coming. These, these days, it's hard to keep track. It's of very, is dude. Woke math is, yeah. I mean, it's a level above common core, it's almost impossible <laughs> to do. <laughs> So, uh, and to give credit where credit's due, for those of you that think we're dealing with complete fucking psychopaths, uh, Bayer apologized for their role in the Holocaust. Oh. Yeah. Well, dude. In 1995. (laughs) (laughs) Better late than never, guys. I mean, probably some of our listeners weren't even born then. I think that's fine. Sure. They made Zyklon B and Roundup and PCBs and I'm sure aspirin's fine, though. I'll take a couple of those. <laughs> Go for it. Uh, PCBs, let's talk about that. <laughs> most toxic chemical known to man. Yeah, from one of their most notable accomplishments in the list is fucking extensive, particularly if you are hell-bent on creating the end of all humanity, is the PCBs. My mom are... almost named her company PCB. 
<laughs> she ended up going with PMB. Okay. Uh, I believe because I told her PCB. Like, do you know? Probably. Like, yeah. Pump that in the old dildo search real quick. <laughs> this is pre dildo. <laughs> uh, polychlorinated biphenyls. Uh, so as you're saying, P- PCBs are considered to be one of the most carcinogenic and dangerous <laughs> like toxins known to man. Yeah. Uh, do you know that to this day, PCBs, even though they have been outlawed since 1979, are still found in fat tissue of all humans and all animal species to this day. Wow. Yeah. It is the devil's chemical. Hmm. Or one of them. All the other ones came from uh, Monsanto, too, <laughs> which we'll get into. Man. Yeah. that I read that. I was, I was like, that is fucking terrifying. It's awful. And it, I, I don't know. I don't, okay. I don't want to like, get too sidetracked. 1930s, uh, Monsanto, they created their first GMO corn seed, which pertains to what we're talking about right now mm-hmm. with this Percy versus Monsanto. And the 1940s, they really doubled down on their path to hell. And they, um, their company's research found them researching in uranium for the Manhattan Project, which yielded us the first atom bomb. Everything... The worst things in the world can all almost all be brought back to this company. I know you'd think they would just throw in a few like, uh, "Hey, we of, uh, invented a new sponge. Yeah. Give it a try." <laughs> no, it's very absorbent. <laughs> or like the uh, we we figured out a way to make puppies cuter. Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. How Whew. about that? Thank you. Double the cuteness. <laughs> a little palate cleanser. <laughs> it's got three legs. Uh, we'll get to that part later, but. <laughs> Uh, they came up with the dioxins used in many of their products. I mean, industrial lubricants and household items and all this other stuff. But it made its rock star appearance in a little-known chemical product named Asian Orange. Mm. Uh, Asian Orange would be the one that killed over a million Vietnamese, Cambodian, innocent civilians. At that time, it was used, it was seen as a perfect way. Like, the problem is, is all these soldiers, they're embedded down in these dense jungles. Like, well, what if we just fucking got rid of the jungle? And we did with Agent Orange. We have Henry Kissinger to thank for that one. You know what? That would be a good name of a, like, hair removal product, like Nair. Mm-hmm. But um, you call it Agent Orange. Basically the same thing as Nair. Just right. Takes a, but then, uh, like, you can use it on your, like, pubes and stuff. And yeah. you say, remove the jungle. Use okay. Agent Orange. Good point. I got to no? take it one step further, okay. though. Is if you follow the history of Agent Orange and the decades upon decades upon decades of multi-generational birth defects that followed after uh-huh. spraying these countries with Agent Orange, is people go, like, might want to read the fine print before you put that in your junk. So just throwing it out there. Trying to keep it historically accurate right now. And we had, as I was saying before, Henry Kissinger to thank for this, uh, for the Agent Orange campaign. Like, we need to just defoliate the entire continent or the entire country, which is what I love. Not that. I think it's horrific. But the consistency of the fucking psychopath, he got the Nobel Peace Prize for, for, for doing that in 1973. Well, we've discussed that before. So, so did Barack Obama after so did, right, yeah. taking us from two wars to seven. Right, so. right. 
also murdering over a million I, innocent civilians. I'm starting to lose faith in the credit of the Nobel, <laughs> the Nobel Peace, Peace Prize, Prize. <laughs> personally. <laughs> I mean, if they do that two more times, I'm going to totally give up on them. Trust but verify, looking at this. I see John Wayne Gacy got it in 1986. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we got to go back to the case in Canada for a second. And I'm going to try to distill this down for the sake of simplicity, but here's some nonsense mumbo-jumbo real okay. quick. The ruling given by the Canadian Supreme Court was notable in that it set the precedent that, for the first time, corporations can claim ownership of a living organism and can claim damages when their patent, right, patent rights are violated, as in corporations can own something living as long as it's not something that exclusively occurred in nature, right? So right. If, if they took a genetic sequencing and tweaked it slightly and put it back on the market, they, they therefore own that patent. Right. Right? You follow me so far? Yeah. Okay. I mean, I think it's, like, just such an arbitrary rule that yeah. it's stupid to me. But, yeah, I understand yeah. What, what you're saying. So once that legal precedent was established, it uh, we saw the ag and chemical companies, like, they went... We saw the ag and chemical... <laughs> Uh, Sorry to distract you. Oh, okay. <laughs> they basically, this started an arms race for the ag and chemical companies. Like, holy shit. Like, so we can take like a tomato seed, like slowly tweak it a little bit, right. own that genetic sequence, put it back on the market. Who knows? Like maybe in the meantime, like some of our seeds blow into the next guys. We have that multi-generational farmer's land. Yeah, the more airborne your pollination right. process is, the more able you but are the, to completely co-opt. The- exactly. And the, but the point was, is like they own... They own a living organism, but only because it doesn't exclusively exist in nature, which is who's to say what that is at this point. But if you can make that tweak, right, to the genetic structure of an organism Mm -hmm. and then prove in court, like, okay, let's break down the, you know, molecular makeup of that product. Like, here it is. Like, we came up with that technology. Like, well, you own that. You own that strain of the tomato or the corn or whatever, which... This all ties back to that Percy versus Monsanto case. Is the in this? Am I? Uh, I don't mean to get too nitpicky here, or detail, mm-hmm. or you might not know the answer to this, but do they own the corn plant that is actually growing out of that person's land? Do they technically own that plant if they got the the genetics end up in that plant, even they, if it's not on the property own, that they own? Think of it like this. I do know the answer to this because I'm a fucking weirdo and looked into this. It's the same thing as you using someone else's music. Like, I'm going to re-record an Elvis song and make it a top 40 hit. Well, whoever owns the rights, so we've seen all these people, like Michael Jackson buys the rights to the Beatles. Therefore, anytime someone uses a Beatles song in a commercial, right, which would make the worst, it'd make it the worst commercial ever, is that royalty gets paid back to Michael Jackson. So who owns the rights to that patented material is what it is. So you own the plant, I own the corn, but I owe it a royalty for who owns a patent for this genetic sequencing. Right. Would that it, fall under... This is something I never thought I'd get into, ever. It's fascinating to me <laughs> yeah, because... it is, it really is. A lot of libertarians will argue that uh, intellectual property is not real property, it's not a real thing. Does this fall yeah. into the category of intellectual property? Uh, I don't understand intellectual property enough. I mean, I always put everything, I reframed it within music because that is something that I do know. And I was like, okay, these are basically like royalties. Like I'm uh, I'm some pop punk band and we re-recorded some 80s hit and got huge off it. Like 
Well, it's not our song though. Someone else owns the royalties of that. I mean, I you could make an argument that I would I would buy for that not being a thing. That there shouldn't be such a thing as owning a song. If yeah. you write the song and someone else records it and they make money on it. A lot of people say that. That like it should all be public domain. Yeah. Art should be all public domain. And this would fall into that category. Right. It would solve this problem for that. Mr. Schmeichel. Schmeiser. Schmeiser. <laughs> Schmeiser, Schmeiser. So as the, this created, as I was saying, the arms race for basically to own patents on food, essentially, is what happened. And so you go like, okay, so what happened after that? And in the end, I wanted to do something a little different. So in the end, the psychopaths, are you going to sing the rest of the? Now that we're on video, one. I was going to do it via interpretive dance. So just, uh, <laughs> okay. I got to just take my clothes off real zoom quick. Out. Just hang yeah, out for a second. Right here for a second. <laughs> <laughs> Is um, in the end, all these psychopaths that ended that had these corporations. What I've talked about to people is they say like, "Dude, I love what you guys talk about, but it's like exhausting and like." The nihilism I feel sometimes after, because you guys talk about like some dark stuff. So I want to do something like kind of like a good ending. Is at the end, all these companies, the people ahead of them, you know, your Dow Chemicals and your Monsantos and your DuPonts, you know, the people who were in on this genetic arms race, they made so much money with this genetic material of like basically owning food that at the end, they all kind of came together and say like, Basically, job well done, boys. All high-fived each other, took their just mass fortunes, and they disappeared in obscurity. And that's the end. There's a happy ending. Nice. Yeah, that's where it ended. I mean, they didn't give the money back to the to the people or anything? No, no, that's oh, it. Okay. Yeah, I just want to kick off the uh, – I just want to have, like, a day where we had, like, good vibes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so they're gone, and we don't really have to worry about them anymore? No, no. Unfortunately, today's not that day, so we'll have to do that in another episode. Dang. What actually happened is they got together and go like, well, that worked out well. What about people? What if we owned the genetic sequencing of people? Do you guys ever think about that? And thus started the genetic sequencing patented arms race of people. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with this at all? No. I was thinking about it. This though. will fucking keep you up. I, I have been thinking about this, mm-hmm. and uh, I don't see it working. But go ahead. I want to hear what, okay. what you had to say. So, Do I have I, time for another beer? You do. Hold on a sec. <laughs> I'm going to get me. We might want to switch to whiskey here pretty soon. Never doing that again. They, um, I got to get a, a little bit clinical just because I have to quote some articles. So people know that this is coming from a legit source. Right, I'll make sure because Jake's listening. He doesn't like it when <laughs> we make mistakes. So here's one article from PubMed uh, from the National Library of Medicine, which publishes under the National Center for Biotechnology Information. It's If you want to check this, it's at pubmed.ncbi.nih.gov, which is a government website which publishes clinical trials. Hence the .gov. Thank you. Um this was the original version of the preprint print, which has been altered slightly, but you can track down the original PDF file. In the article they cite, so they did some clinical trials with the COVID shot using mice, right? And they can find the line that mice pre-exposed to mRNA LNPs can pass down the acquired immune traits to their offspring. Sorry for the clinical, clinical language, but we'll explain that. So as it pertains to this conversation, put it in layman's terms, we want, you know, you weirdos that aren't up at 2 a.m. 
reading clinical trials from <laughs> medical centers. When you hear mRNA, think COVID shot. And LNPs are liquid nanoparticles. We're not going to go into that. But basically, it's the delivery mechanism for the mRNA technology. I'm not going to get too far into that because we only got so much time here. Or on this planet, really, when you think about it, particularly uh, when you start reading these articles. <laughs> so what they're saying is that mRNA... The RNA and technology injected into the original mice was incorporated into the genome and the oocytes of the maternal line of mice. All right, bear with me mm. for just a second, which is to say that the RNA injected into the original mice was incorporated into the offspring of the mice. So when we heard, well, no, the, the COVID shot, this RNA technology, they didn't even call it that back then. No, it stays in the muscle, like just where it was being injected. And they're saying like, no, we're seeing it in the oocytes of the female. Think oocytes, I mean, you can look that up, but oocytes is basically the reproductive organs, right? Okay. Not only that, they're like, well, if it's in there, where else is it? Well, it's everywhere. It's in your kidneys, it's in your liver, it's everywhere. It's all over your entire body. And when we had talked about before, it's like, this is not a vaccine. This is experimental genetic therapy, right? which we've always talked about. This is what we're talking about. You know, we're not just shooting from the hip and saying, you know, because we think it makes us edgy or whatever. It's when we read these articles, like no other vaccine does anything like this. Like this is something specific. This is something very different. So now that they see in these clinical trials that the RNA technology moves on to the offspring, which should be terrifying. Not oh, okay. I was thinking <laughs> the band. Sorry. No, we could talk about them too. <laughs> Do you listen to the Last Liberty Lockdown? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that was amazing. That was good. I thought it was kind of boring. Really? Yeah. Oh, I thought it was good. Yeah. Because I always wonder what the specifics of that situation. Yeah, I felt like they skirted around the specifics. We never really got to. The guy was very admirably diplomatic 100 percent. yeah he gave that interview like i would like i'm not going to talk shit about any of my bandmates or anything and yep. just kind of yeah okay back to the clinical study not <laughs> back fun to, back to our <laughs> podcast <laughs> so now that we know from these clinical studies the lmp the liquid nano particles are biodistributed in the ovaries of the female bir- birthing person is what i meant to say uh, you <laughs> fucking bigot Nazi. I knew I was working with a Nazi. What are you in Stockton Bear? And then the liquid nanoparticles will transfect any tissue in which they are biodistributed, proof being that you receive the shot in your arm now that we find the LMPs in your ovaries, as in what that is the clinical way of saying, like, you got that shot, it's pervasive throughout your entire body. It's everywhere. Like, it didn't stay in your arm. It didn't go. I'd happen to go into the ovaries of the female and go under offspring. It's everywhere. Like, we know all over. And then we know from this, do this mice trial, that the mother will pass this on to her offspring. Not just one set of offspring, but they'll pass it on to their offspring and their offspring. And so that's when the people running these clinical trials said, like, that's a little disturbing because and we're going to talk about this in a little bit, but do we talk about reverse transcription, transcription at all? No. <sighs> is 
there is an aggressive legal battle going on between Moderna and Pfizer right now. Mm-hmm. There was, have you looked at this? Uh, uh-huh. okay. I have a little bit. So there was an agreement that we need shots in arms. This is a pandemic, you know, it's an emergency. Yeah. We're not going to worry it, about who owns what. Like Moderna we, gave Pfizer the technology. Right. And then Pfizer got a deal and Moderna didn't or something with the federal government. Something like is that. that yeah. How it went. Yeah. And so now Moderna is suing Pfizer because they're using their patented technology. Yeah. But all legal experts say and, like. Yeah. But Pfizer is saying, dude, the wind blew your technology over the <laughs> fence into our, over the barbed wire, razor wire <laughs> concentration camp fence into our facility. There's nothing we could do about it. I looked up a bunch of uh, legal perspectives on this case and every legal perspective said it's just uh, there's no money to be made here and they're also they're not suing for you know when two pharmaceutical giants sue each other it's for billions and billions of dollars they're not suing for that much I mean is I've it seen... $130,000? <laughs> yeah it's it's starting uh, to see a pattern yeah it's and they said, like, it's they had the agreement that everyone would use this technology because we needed to mass produce these vaccines, mm-hmm. quote unquote. And for them to now retroactively go back and try to sue them for this patented technology, like, everyone said, like, there's something else there. And it's not for the money because they're not suing for that much money. And not that these. The, How I mean, much do you know? I don't. I looked it up. It was in the millions, okay. which is like for nothing. For, yeah, for, anything for, under a billion. Yeah, for a huge Why pharma- ph- pharmaceutical company. So just to retain that, you know, just remember, you don't have to remember the ins and outs of this case, but remember that they're, they're aggressively suing each other for the use of this patent technology as we go on, right? So remember we talked about that there in the beginning, there was this genetic arms race beginning in the 1950s for ag and chemical companies to own the patents on corn or tomatoes and everything you know what i mean there's like there's so much money to be made here like we could own the food supply i, I can't own the genetic sequencing of a tomato but you know like i said if i alter it slightly and get that to market and then destroy the farm next to me like dude can you imagine about the amount of money that can be made so goes the genetic arms race for humans and that they discovered this, the arms race for genetic mutations and imagine, sequencing began in the 1990s. Imagine explaining this to one of our founding fathers. That, no, what we're actually going to do with He's this like, government. Can't you just shoot them? <laughs> can't you just shoot all these people? No, we're going to use the government to patent actual life on Earth. Like, what? That's not what we set this up for, you guys. What's a patent? <laughs> patents were a thing back then for actual like technological advancements no 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 we're going to use it for life itself and then we're going to take that and we're going to destroy small farmers <laughs> and enslave people <laughs> you I love how okay the slavery part we're down with I love <laughs> I love how off the top of your head you go like, I'm, like he just surmised like four pages that I wrote right there <laughs> <laughs> so I find this article in Gizmodo called Human Gene Patenting. Yes, co- companies can own your DNA. Now, this title is purposely inflammatory, misleading, and hyperbolic. I mean, yeah, you're allowed to lie in headlines. Right. It's, 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 it's just trying to catch your attention. Um, 
but legal precedent has been established that no one can own the patent on a naturally occurring genetic sequencing, sequencing as we were talking about before, but such, you know, the laid out in the Percy versus Monsanto case. But if a company can make a significant alteration, and this is court case now, to a genetic sequence, then they own that genetic sequence from there on, right? Therefore, they own the, the organism in which that genetic sequencing is in, mm-hmm. right? Makes sense so far? Yep. This is a quote from the article, just to get make it official. Specifically, a gene patent can be granted for a claim on a nucleic acid or a method of diagnosing a genetic condition. Claims can be made over a DNA or an RNA sequence or a method of identifying the existence of a DNA or RNA sequence in an individual. Here's a fun fact. All right, right? Mm-hmm. So, fun fact. I mentioned the arms race, right, of sequencing and developing genetic material, and that began in the 90s. And all these companies started, like, doubling down. One company in particular, because they wanted to own this technology. Like, we could own, like, living organisms if we pull this off, right? There was a company called Southern Trust, and they invested $200 million in this potential technology. And we had someone that came up with this business plan, like a, a prospectus, and he was in the Caribbean island. <clears throat> he said, like, you know what we can do? I'm here in the Caribbean. We'll take the genetic information of everyone on this island and sell it all to drug manufacturing companies. And they can make drugs specifically tailored to what these people need. And we'll also own th- their genetic information. And then we can extrapolate from there into continue to make drugs. It's funny because it starts out, the first half of what you said, it's like that would be helpful. Beneficial. Useful right. technology to have for that island. But <laughs> do you want to take a wild guess to who came up with that prospectus, that business plan? And who was given the $200 million and actually started the study? Um, I'm going to go with Monsanto. No, 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 no. That... Way, way more fun. It's way more, more fun. fun. Yeah. So not bear. You want a hint? Hold on. No. More yeah. fun. Pfizer. <clears throat> way better. Really? <clears throat> yeah, give me a hint. He didn't kill himself. No. Yes. <laughs> What? Why? Jeffrey Epstein? Yes. Was given, was given $200 million by Southern Trust to collect this genetic data and sell to drug manufa- manufacturing companies. Come on. I mean, I'm it's, coming. I'm is on. It, do we still think Jeffrey Epstein was just a guy with an island? Like a, a just a, a smart financial guy who he had wasn't, an He island. wasn't a financial guy. And ha- or, isn't that or, how or, he got his money, allegedly? No, when you look into his financial dealings every financial guy around said like this is not what this guy does and he doesn't know anything but just everyone is investing money in it into him yeah i thought he had like the same thing hedge phones and stuff the genetic the genetic technology i was like who who's this guy see that's the problem is that we have just let them snow job us and gaslight us to the extent that they don't have to try anymore. They're not even trying. It's no. like the Clintons killing people. They're no. like, eh, whatever, we're just going to kill them. They, no one's going to actually look into it. We're never actually going to have to face any consequences for the things that we do. Just uh, get, I don't know, uh, 
Epstein's not doing anything this week. And get him down there. He'll buy the genetic material, yeah. and then we'll, we'll move on from there. Very, very correct. So we're going to get into, we already are into, we're going to get into some vaccine stuff. And I thought it would be cool to start off this clip because we're talking about how, like, we're patting ourselves on the back. We're like, look, you know, you see stuff going around, like, congratulations, you withheld the world's largest PSYOP information. You didn't buy it. You didn't take the shot. Um, like, pat yourself on the back. Be proud and everything. And then we talk about, we see, like, uh, Merma's making fun of you. Uh, uh, when? Could you be more specific? Oh, you weren't, you weren't there. Never mind. So what <laughs> no, because you were talking about, we were talking about Bill Gates and the... Um, uh, using mosquitoes to spread the vaccine, and you brought that up. I was like, "That's that's adorable, antiquated technology, which was <laughs> six months ago, yes. and that program is up and running. I mean, it's going. All right, you can find that. And then I just want to share this. This is an actual promo video, by the way. Yeah, they know. Since the they know no shame. COVID nineteen, the word virus has been dominating media headlines as well as our daily lives. Did you know that one approach that this has been proposed to control virally transmitted diseases is by releasing a virally transmitted Pause vaccine? <laughs> Unlike traditional vaccines, uh, infectious vaccines. I'm calling bullshit on the accent. <laughs> this, this is a bullshit accent. Okay. It's too over the top. It's, it's pretty perfect. Yeah. Okay. Moving on. Do not require <laughs> any individual consent. <clears throat> infectious solutions are also being developed for food Wait, wait, wait. Uh, sorry. What, what's that? Could you just uh, go back like 10 oh, yeah. seconds for me? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Just uh, just showing you. Being developed for food. No, no, no. Another 20 seconds. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Can do. Can keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Can do. No. no. Keep going. Okay. Right there. Unlike traditional vaccines, uh, infectious vaccines do not require any individual consent. Infectious <laughs> solutions are what? also being developed for food. What? What, uh, what's the problem? <laughs> uh, I, correct me if I'm wrong. I think she said one of the benefits of an infectious vaccine right, right. was that it doesn't require individual consent. I don't think she said that. Uh, you can play it again. I'm pretty sure I that's what she said. It. I, it just, uh, I don't know. You get hung up in these weird things that are in your head. Really transmitted vaccine. Huh. Unlike traditional vaccines, uh, infectious vaccines do not require any individual consent. Mm, mm, Infection. Mm, well, I stand corrected. <laughs> Dude, uh, who is this advertisement for? It's is it's a psychopaths only, right? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Democratic elite. Who only. hears this? And goes like, sounds good. Cool. Because I was tired of having to give my consent all the time. Yes, I agree to your, you know, checking boxes on the internet. Like, just infect me with your vaccines already and stop making me consent to it. <laughs> Ugh. Um, I don't want to bum people out, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a little too late for that one. There I go. <laughs> Is I bring that up because um, it's just kind of a perfect marker. Like, we're just... We might just be completely fucked, no matter what, right? And I mean, for those of you I, I listening, don't want to be that guy. But. For those of you listening who uh, just started like counting uh, magazines and making sure they're fully loaded, um, this is not a call to arms. Please do not react. Yes, but in the spirit of uh, staying positive, um, 
let's just for the time being pretend that we still have a fighting chance. I actually had an optimistic um, point of view on this, but I can't remember it. Oh, I just lost it. Just lost it. <laughs> <laughs> so it'll come to me. To go back to what we were talking about, to go back to those clinical studies that we we're talking about with the mice, and when you ask when you ask yourself, how can a mother pass on a vaccine to her children that that doesn't happen with other vaccines. It doesn't happen with the polio vaccine. It doesn't happen with the smallpox vaccine. And we give the old Liberty Tree like, exactly. It doesn't because that's not a vaccine, right? It's experimental gene therapy. That's what you just took. And so when you get into reverse transcription, <laughs> which is, I'm going to try to keep this as minimal because it's going to fucking drive you crazy, is... Basically, reverse transcription, it's an enzyme used to generate complementary DNA from an RNA template, or for those of you that don't want to, you know, you want to quote this around the water cooler and not sound like a complete wingnut, and Godspeed if you're quoting us around the water cooler. That's a rough life. I'd love to know what corporation (laughs) you're working for. It's the process by which, say, like, I don't know, they make an injectable mRNA technology created its own genetic sequence, which, as those pesky DNA sequences do, passes on from the mother. So the RNA technology enters the body and becomes its own. It alters the DNA sequence. It becomes its own specific DNA sequence. Does that make sense? Yeah, but I don't want to go. I don't want to go too deep because I'm not the guy to do it. I'm not going to question you on it because I I don't think you. I don't think you're smart enough to answer my question. Absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) Now you want to talk about '90s death metal? I will fucking talk your ear off. But uh, DNA sequencing, like I'm trying to keep it to a minimum here. (laughs) So if now that you're changed the DNA, quote unquote, naturally occurring sequence into your offspring, now they show that they have this changed DNA sequence. That means that you know we have changed possibly permanently the human genome of those people that took this RNA technology because RNA gets converted through reverse transcription to DNA, gets goes to the female's oocytes or birthing person, sorry about that, <sighs> and goes into the offspring and they pass it on. They pass the it on. They've had it within four generations of the clinical studies with the mice as to, as to the time that this paper was written. So we could be looking at the fact that we have possibly permanently altered the human genome through this mRNA technology. Mm-hmm. That's all making sense? Yeah. Which is terrifying. Yeah. I haven't even got to the terrifying part, though, unfortunately. So remember... The Alamo. So... <laughs> so, so we already have studies suggesting that we've permanently altered the DNA sequencing of the human genome in everyone that has taken this technology and then pass it on to their kids if you are the female. And then I pulled out of this. I always try to stay at like the 10,000 foot level because you can go in, you go down some like rabbit holes with some of the stuff. And by the way, for you people that like to explore the fringes of ideas, like, Keep in mind, you're much like um, the hunting community or firearms enthusiasts. Like, people already hate you, right? You are marginalized and ostracized. Like, you, it's, you have a responsibility to present yourself. <clears throat> bring some receipts. Bring some facts to the table. Don't 
pull up to the guy having a beer after work and start writing in on the Deagle st- statistics or uh, talking about booster rage. Like, work up to that. Start start small and then work your way up to that. Be the likable right-wing yes. wing nut down the street. Yes. Because you start going to the stuff and then, like, you go article, article, article. And then they get into Drew, like, uh, like one of the places where I draw the line, they get into uh, numerology. They're like, all right. 9-11, right? 9 plus 1 plus 1 is 11. 11 is the main character in Stranger Things. Now, Winona Ryder, who's the main character of Stranger Things, her birthday is October 28th, all right? Which is 48 days after 9-11. Now, if we look at the Egyptian hieroglyphics, we see the number 48 come up. Time You're like, dude, stop. <laughs> stop posting things on the internet. You are ruining this for everybody. Get a job. Stop. Don't talk about 9-11. Don't talk about anything. I'm not sure if you're aware, but having a job is a sign of uh, white privilege. So, <laughs> Which makes you a Nazi. Yep. Right. I'm not right. sure getting a job is the right advice. I got to check my bear stock. As I do it. So remember, you and I have had conversations, and I've had conversations with other people that we said, like, isn't it weird how the phrase, they're coming for your kids, a year ago was fringe. I was like, dude, calm the fuck down. Although a year ago, I was like, I'm kind of seeing it. Gonna... Two years ago, definitely. Yeah. And like now. 98, when the 700 Club was on after cartoons in the morning, it was <laughs> definitely absolute wingnut territory. And so I'd be hard pressed to think of an argument against, like, that's pretty much out in the open now. Right. And then. But we always thought it was going to happen within the context of, like, the groomer movement or the coordinated push to, you know, to support minor attracted persons, right? That's a culture war that we're seeing now, the drag queen story hour, where us us on the outside, we see that. We're like, this, why, like, who is supporting this? Like, who wants this in their kid's school? Like, who wants that book in their kid's school? Like, we're talking about third graders, right, at this point. Mm -hmm. And so we kind of bought into that side of the battle. I know that I did, for sure. Um, We bought into it within the the cultural context of it and say that, um, you know, talking about, like, groomers coming for your kids or they're talking about making minor attracted persons like a real thing as we're talking about, and we're like, it's, four or five years ago, we were like, eh, I'm just, I don't know. I kind of see it, it's kind of ridiculous, and then. Uh, I don't find that ridiculous. I not think, anymore. No, not Well, I mean, I, I think that the, yes, there are people that are uh, maybe predisposed to be attracted to minors. Yeah. And that a minor attracted person. And there's a place for this. Is people. a real thing. It's. Okay. You go ahead. Uh, no, you go first. Uh, <laughs> what place is that? <laughs> I was going to say wood chipper. <laughs> <laughs> I have a feeling you're the more charitable one today. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> um, therapy, wood chipper. Oh, yeah. <laughs> or therapy. <laughs> Either one's good. No, I think that that is a real thing. Yeah. I'm sure, obviously. I don't think that, I don't think pedophiles are just simply bad people who are looking for a place to be bad. Their their badness is just a um, 
I think their brains are scrambled. Yeah. I think they're just predisposed to be Obviously. Yeah. It, but I don't, you know what I mean? Like they are it is they are minor attractive people and that is bad. Yeah. I'm not saying that's okay. No. That is awful, it's evil and I maybe the place is is a wood chipper <laughs> for those people. But it's uh you still think about running for office? I still <laughs> I, I was before this podcast started. <laughs> Um, I don't think that the minor attracted person is a, it's, it's like a, 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 a fan, a myth. Mm-hmm. That's a real thing. It's, it's, it's awful and it shouldn't exist, but it is a real thing. That is a, and just to get even more in trouble <laughs> from everything, I think that, uh, being trans is a problem in the brain. Mm-hmm. I even think being gay is a, a bit of a scrambled kind of situation. Not a brain necessarily, but your DNA. Something in you is scrambled. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's you know, where these people come from. I don't think that being gay, gay, I don't think gay people belong in a wood chipper. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, now that I can walk you back off the plank that you <laughs> just cruised out on on your own. Is when we talked about the notion of like they're coming for your kids, and we always assumed that this was going to be done in the, within the context of the culture war, right? Which it's very obviously has been done, and then we have people like this. We have sure remember this. never invested as much in public education as we should have because we've always had kind of a private notion of children. Your kid is yours and totally your responsibility. We haven't had a very collective notion of these are our children. So part of it is we have to break through our kind of private idea that kids belong to their parents or kids belong to their families and recognize that kids belong to whole communities. Once it's everybody's responsibility and not just the households, then we start making better investments. That is uh, one of the more disgusting, like uh, like awful things I've ever. I remember this. Someone yeah. say, yeah. And uh, I just wanted to play that for kind of context. Is that that's not someone speaking off the cuff? Like that yeah. was a a promo campaign made mm-hmm. by MSNBC. Yeah, they didn't they didn't catch her uh, on her way into the mall and ask her her thoughts. Yeah, on that. They came up with this and decided to... That was very intentionally done. Enlighten all of us on their ideas. And we talk about that within the context of the status versus non-status. There are, there are a lot of people that very much agree with what she said. She goes, well, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a communal way of thinking. It's, that's the mind of the status. Which, to people like us, like the fact of like someone, become, someone coming between the relationship that I have with my children, it's like, you're going to fucking die. Like, no one will ever come between me and my kid. And some people think, like, well, that's how it's supposed to be. We need to break, what's she saying? We need to break out of this way of thinking that your kid is your kid, mm-hmm. which is insane. So, like I was saying, this was a campaign made by MSNBC, and I, I don't want to dwell on this. We could spend a whole episode on this article, but I wanted to just drive home. People say, like, the whole notion of they're coming for your kids is a conspiracy theory. I'm like... It's not really. I mean, this has changed within the last couple of years of my life. Like, it's very obvious that they have. So to bring it back to what we we're saying, I want to wrap this up. And I know that what I'm about to say is going to upset a lot of people, but um, <clears throat> I'm going to have you fill in the end here of what I'm about to say. So, so they get upset at me? Yeah. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. I got a huge week, man. I can't <laughs> be responding to emails all day. So 
to tie back everything we said is that if we have shown via clinical trials that with mice with a COVID shot through the process of reverse transcription, which turns mRNA technology into DNA, has permanently, that we see so far, has permanently altered your genetic sequence. Therefore, the genetic sequence of your offspring, as it is, has been shown to pass through the female oocytes forever. As in, so to clean it up, you get this mRNA technology through reverse transcription, turns into DNA, and that is passed into the offspring of the female, right? Second thing we hit, if legal precedent states that a company as shown in Percy versus Monsanto and many others, you can look these cases up, who owns the patent on a genetic structure given that one has been altered from its original natural state and two, that a company can show that that change was made via their technology. So meaning that I can't own a natural organism, but if I tweak that genetic sequence and I can prove that I'm the person, the company that changed that genetic sequence, I can bring it back to me. I therefore own the patent or I own that genetic sequence. Therefore I own the entire organism, which happened in Percy versus Monsanto. Well, are we sure, though, that, that you own the entire organism or you just own royalties or some sort of uh, financial I don't know. Compensation. This is, well, this is not well-worn ground. Yeah. But point remains the same, right? You owned some kind of rights, either the entire organism or you own some, some kind of patented rights on that organism, mm-hmm. right? I mean, neither one is actually what you... I, I don't think you should own either. Well, I, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, we both agree on that. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, it, it's all fucking but, bullshit. But to, as the law stands now, like, how much that's, danger are that's how people in from this? So if both those things are true, then that company can claim legal ownership on whatever genetic sequencing that they can have that changed DNA, they can prove that that has that genetic sequencing that they came up with. And if everyone that took the vaccine, according to these clinical studies, has that genetic sequencing, then therefore, what?